Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Hey, and welcome to a special edition of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And uh, we are commemorating National Indigenous Peoples Day in the United States. Of course, it, it occurs every year, the second Monday in October, when we celebrate and honor Indigenous American peoples and uh, commemorate their histories and cultures. In fact, it's celebrated across the U.S. It's an official city and state holiday in various localities. So I thought, well, what can we talk about as part of Indigenous Peoples Day on Strange Planet? And I thought, what would fit with Strange Planet's uh, mandate, if you will? And the first thing that popped into my mind was a fascinating legend, the legend of the Wendigo. And uh, we're going to get into that with uh, one of my favorite guests, D.A. Roberts, is an author of fiction, primarily in the horror, dystopian, and science fiction genres. He was born in Lebanon, Missouri, now lives in Springfield, Missouri, with his wife and sons. And for most of his career, D.A. served his community in law enforcement and has been investigating and researching cryptids for more than four decades and is the Region 2 director of the North American Dogmen Project. DA has been featured on numerous podcasts and shows, including Coast to Coast AM, uh, for his writing and cryptid research. He's the author of a number of series of books, including uh, The Nightmare Hunter, uh, Code Name, The Lakeview Man, Ragnarok Rising Saga, and of course, Apex Predator, the series. DA Roberts, welcome back to Strange Planet. How are you? Thank you for having me back on. You're Scotch-Irish by background, mm -hmm. but one of your uh, uncles who, as you have described previously, was kind of like your second father, your uncle Buddy, who passed away about three years ago, he was a Cherokee, correct? Yes, he was full-blood Cherokee. He married my mother's sister, and I probably spent more time at his house than I did at my own. Uh, he had uh, a huge section of, of uh, forested land out near a little town called Eldridge, Missouri, which is not far from where I grew up, uh, and it butted up right against about 5,000 acres of, of conservation land. So his land is where I learned to hunt. It's where I learned learned how to track. Uh, he, you know, he, he, him and my brothers taught me how to fish there. I mean, it was just one of those places that uh, it, it'll always be that, that primeval forest in my mind, uh, you know, that place you think of as a child where everything is pristine that is uh that is the place for me i learned to deer hunt there i learned to do a lot of things there and learned a lot about you know how to be you know, a better person there and it was also your uncle buddy who kind of pulled you aside and said da you're right sasquatch is real i've seen him He'd seen him on that property. Uh, when I was a kid, I you know after I first seen like 
be in search of and things like that. I was very inquisitive. Uh, I was I was fascinated by by uh, the stories of Bigfoot, and of course, most of my relatives and brothers and sisters all thought I was just being a goofy kid. But it was Uncle Buddy who was the first adult to ever take me to the side. Once you know, he sat me down when we were alone. He put me in his lap. And he says, "I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to listen carefully. They're real, and they're on this property. My people call them the Sul Kalu, and you need to be very careful around them." So we're going to talk about the legend of the Wendigo, which my understanding is um, the Wendigo comes to us. The legend of the Wendigo comes to us primarily from the the, the Plains Indians and also the Great Lake uh, Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, do the Cherokee, did your Uncle Buddy uh, ever talk about the Wendigo? We, we never really discussed the Wendigo. It, it's not a legend that I'd even come across until after I was grown and off in the Army. Uh, so I really didn't have a chance to talk about the Wendigo much with Uncle Buddy, but I have researched the subject a great deal, uh, also utilizing resources that he kind of sent me in the direction of. So yeah, he may not have given me the information firsthand, but he told me where to find it. All right. So according to Indian legend, you know, where does the Wendigo legend begin? How did it begin? Well, there's several different tribes have different versions of the story. Uh, one version uh, th- that's uh, from one of the tribes in Canada, and I can't remember the name of the tribe off the top of my head. I want to say it's Algonquin, be, uh, yeah. but they believe it's it's a type of Bigfoot type creature. They describe it as being large, covered in hair, and it would carry off uh, people from villages. And in fact, in times of really bad winters, they would take out entire villages. Uh, then there are other versions where they describe it as being more demonic, that it's a, it's a, a inhabiting force that possesses people who have consumed human flesh uh a, a spirit of uh, of hunger and starvation if you will um and, and then other versions of uh, versions of the wendigo legend have it being kind of a, a nature spirit uh that only comes out during during lean times but always that that theme seems to exist across of them uh, of of consuming humans and this this perpetual hunger uh but the, the legend changes subtly as you as you move to different parts of the united states the fact that it it is a legend that is that that comes from we have the you know the Great Plains Indians also the Great Lake Indians it's pretty widespread I mean that covers a lot of territory it certainly I mean, does if something is that widespread do you think that indicates there must be some truth to this legend well they say that every legend has a kernel of truth uh, and for multiple tribes from a wide variety of areas to have similar if not identical legends to me it just says that there's something there it's not just a shared mythology they, they've experienced something and it's kind of like when you talk about bigfoot every tribe on the face of north america has a different name for bigfoot they all describe a similar creature uh, so how could so many tribes in so such a wide uh, wide uh, wide area from the pacific northwest to florida be describing similar character uh, creatures right right um, I'd read one account of the sort of the origin um, of the the Wendigo legend and that it was a lost hunter, presumably an indigenous uh, person who you know, a hunter got lost. And uh, during a, a particularly brutal cold winter. And so this man, a human, his um, intense hunger drove him to cannibalism. And he after, I guess, feasting on another human flesh, he uh, he he kind of transformed into this man beast and and um ever since has been roaming the forest in search of more people to eat so what other what other um 
stories can you tell me about when to go? Are there, are there, um, I don't know, sort of case studies well, was, of people who claim to have encountered there was a, There are lots of sightings of when to go across North America, even as far, in far places like Canada, I know Canada, in Colorado, and through the Appalachians. Um, there was actually a man who was hung uh, in Canada for being accused of being a Wendigo. It was the Swift Runner case. Uh, this happened, I want to say, in the early 1900s. Uh, he emerged at a trading post claiming that his family had all died during the harsh winter, uh, but that they, they'd all starved. But they noticed that he, he didn't look particularly starved. He looked like he was fairly well fed, and he wasn't that far from the trading post. Uh, so when they go back to his his cabin, they find that his family had all been butchered and feasted and been, been eaten. They could find teeth marks on the bones and and things like that. And he was actually sentenced to death for that. Uh, that was one of the last recorded instances of somebody being actually put to death for being or being uh, accused of being a Wendigo. Uh, yeah, that was I want to say late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds in Canada. Um, also, as recently as the early two thousands, I want to say it was around two thousand one. There was a guy. Uh, who was riding a trans-Canadian bus. I was riding a bus down a highway and he attacked and killed a fellow passenger and began consuming his flesh. And it, they referred to it as Wendigo psychosis. Uh, so I don't think it's really completely left uh our modern our, our modern mythology. I think it's still out there. And I think it, 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 it part of it could possibly be uh, an attempt by indigenous people to diagnose a a mental illness, or it could truly be something that does take hold of people. Uh, it could be this this spirit that that consumes them when they've eaten human flesh, and they become this beast. Are there any are, are there any treatments for Wendigo psychosis? I mean, if they suspect someone may be suffering from that in in the village, well, the in the case of the the the, the gentleman who attacked the, the guy on the bus, uh, he was put in a mental hospital. And last I knew, I think he was released in 2016. Wow. But what about um, among the uh, indigenous uh, people? Do they have, I don't know, is there some sort of a ceremony or a ritual or a medicine that they can, that they, they administer to prevent someone from, you know, cannibalizing the rest of the village? The only thing I've ever found reference to is ways to kill a Wendigo. Um, there, I've never found uh, found references to them curing somebody once they've been corrupted by the Wendigo. They have to be stopped. Uh, most of them involve use of silver or fire. Uh, in some cases, you have to cut the heart out with a silver blade and burn the heart separately from the body. Uh, when I was researching my book, Curse of the Wendigo, um, I found that there was just so much different varying lore on the Wendigo that it was hard to decide what to use for the book and you know what to use because the book was a work of fiction. Uh, it was it was hard to, to pick one version of the legend. Uh, but what I did was I looked for commonalities and that, that seemed to involve silver and fire. And uh, I, I think uh, since that appears so much throughout Wendigo lore across the, across the country, that if you did encounter one fire and silver, probably your best option, probably fire. What do they look like? Well, they've been described as being pale, gaunt humanoids, just uh, like very, very skinny, emaciated humans uh, with generally their hair is missing and the flesh has been chewed from their fingers and their lips have been chewed off uh, like they've been out of their out of their hunger. They've eaten part of their own flesh. Uh, there are other versions where they're described as having uh, massive antlers like a deer and even the skeletal uh, skeletal uh, the face of a deer. Uh, but 
I don't know if that was that was they were describing a mask or if that was just an affectation of the creature to inspire incite fear. Uh, but uh, they they uh, generally are described as being being very gaunt, very emaciated, and always hungry. Do they live in caves, or do they just you know walk the woods, or or where are they found? Well, they they're generally only sighted in, t- in extreme cold winters when when game and food is very scarce. Uh, so it's hard to say for sure where they would, they would actually live. Uh, but I would say since these things are always hungry, I I doubt they sleep. They're probably always on the move looking for their next meal. Hmm. Any other uh, high profile cases of uh, Wendigo encounters? Well, there was a uh, a story that came out of. Southern Illinois. Uh, this year, I think it was in 2018, uh, about a young a young girl. She was Native American, and uh, she went out one night. And her her grandmother had always warned her when she was outside not to whistle uh, because it would it would attract them. Uh, when she went, she would let her dog out, and it wasn't coming back, and it wasn't coming back. So finally, she whistled for the dog. Well, the dog comes running back to the house, uh, just absolutely terrified. She takes the dog in the house and sees this thing coming out of the woods that she she described as being a very tall, gaunt humanoid. And it tried to get in the house. It walked around her house multiple times, uh, trying and looking for a way in. And she said that, that, that at that point, she was so terrified that she waited until dawn and fled the house. Uh, she told her grandmother, and they came back with some elders of the tribe and and drove it away. Uh, but I don't know if it was actually killed or just just vanished. I spoke with a a, a woman um, on coast to coast and also on uh, on this podcast uh, who had an encounter. I believe it was near the Alabama Louisiana border uh, with a creature that has been labeled the pale crawler. I'm not sure if you're familiar mm-hmm. with this case or this creature. Um, she, it was right in the middle of the road. She described it as being rather emaciated looking and very pale and gaunt and so forth. It sounds all the world like an encounter with a Wendigo. What do you think? Well, there's a, there are two types of creatures that are people that people are, are reported seeing in the cryptid world. One they call the pale crawler, another one they refer to as the rake. The rake originally started out as a creepypasta, one of these little internet stories. Uh, but much like uh, like Slenderman, people began seeing it. But the physical descriptions of what they called the rake sounds to me very much like a, a Wendigo. It's the 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 the, the, um, the physical description is very very similar to the the emaciated humanoid, not the one with the deer antlers, but the the emaciated human with the chewed up fingers and, and missing lips. So I think rakes and and uh, pale crawlers are just another name for a type of Wendigo. I think people are seeing the Wendigo creatures and didn't know what else to call it. So do you think the Wendigo is a demonic spirit? Is it a physical creature? Is it maybe metaphorical, um, you know, sort of the the incarnation of winter, the embodiment of hunger? What do you think? I, I think that there are greater and lesser extents of Wendigo. Um, I think that, uh, that some people like the Wendigo psychosis case can be touched by it. But I think that I think the true nature of the Wendigo is, is very spiritual, uh, because they, they mentioned, uh, in a lot of the lore that it was a curse that was brought down on people for eating human flesh. Uh, so I think the, the true spirit of the, of the Wendigo, the two, the true nature of the Wendigo is like you're saying, it's almost, almost demonic, like a, like a nature spirit of hunger and starvation. DA will take a quick time out, come back and continue to delve into the legend of the Wendigo. Back with more in a moment. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. And we are back with D.A. Roberts, uh, who is a, um, a writer, author of fiction, primarily in the horror, dystopian, and science fiction genres. And um, his website is daroberts.net, daroberts.net. Tell me more about the book that you wrote about the Wendigo. Well, I've got a, I've got a series that's called Codename Wild Hunt. It's about a military unit that hunts dangerous monsters. And for the second book in that series, I wanted to do something with a Wendigo. And it's set up in the upper peninsula of of, of, uh, of Michigan. Uh, but it, it's it's you know it's set obviously set in the winter, and a group of hunters uh, get ambushed by one of these things, and this team gets sent in to deal with it. And uh, I tried to draw on as much Native American knowledge as I could find. Uh, I spoke to a lot of friends. Uh, I have, I have a, a number of, of close friends who are who are Native American descent, and. Uh, you know, when I when I get several people that I will contact when I when I need, you know, a deeper lore than I'm able to find in just a book. Um, but you know, I I think that I was able to capture the spirit of of, of the legend. Uh, like I said, though, that there is such a vast amount of information that varies from tribe to tribe. I kind of had to look for commonalities to pick which which things that it exhibited. You know, what was it vulnerable to? Um, but I also wanted to go for the sheer terror factor uh, about how much terror these things inspire. Uh, and they're 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 a truly horrifying thing. I'm not even sure you could call them a cryptid. I think they're more of a nature spirit. I think they're there's something something supernatural. Uh, at the you know, at the very least, they're they're not bound by normal physical laws that that we would expect with an animal. Uh, they're they're capable of, of uh, far more than we would would imagine. And I don't think that uh, we would have an easy time stopping one, even if you were well prepared. As you say, they're emaciated. They're very gaunt, uh, but at the same time, I mean, are they? They must be powerful creatures if they're able to, you know, dominate a, a human and devour them. Are they big? Some of the things that are said about them is some of them are quite large. Uh, they're incredibly fast. Uh, that they've got the ability to mimic people. Uh, that if you hear someone call you by name in the woods and you know that person shouldn't be out there, you should not answer that. Uh, they're able to lure people away from from safety, uh, mimicking mimicking the sounds of friends, sometimes even mimicking the sound of a baby crying uh, to lure people away from the fire, lure them away from the safety of others. Uh, so they're, they're very cunning, they're very fast, and they're very strong, uh, very easily overpower a human especially a lone one and are they known as the by the same name as the wendigo from indigenous tribe to tribe or do they go by different names there are several different versions of the name but they are all very similar there's the wendigo the wendiga the wintico uh the wintica uh there's there's a but they all they all sound very similar but there's variations of the name across multiple tribes uh lots of different versions of basically the same name that's very interesting that they would have a very similar name uh, throughout such a large geographical location. Again, the Great Plains uh, Indians all the way to the Great Lake uh, Indians. Um, there's something called the Wendigo Cave. 
I think it's in Appalachia. I'm not exactly sure. Um, what do, what can you tell me about the the Wendigo Cave? I don't know a whole lot about that, but it's one of those places that I want to visit. Uh, I'm 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 uh, I'm a, a big fan of going to places like that. Uh, there's a there's a place in Tennessee called Werewolf Springs that I'm uh, that's on my list. Uh, but I don't know as much about Wendigo Cave as I would like to know. Uh, but it's it's what I have heard has just got me so intrigued. I've got to I've got to find the place. I want to want to take a trip and take some of my some of my friends and see what we can discover about it. Would you actually go into the Wendigo Cave? I mean, oh, absolutely. Really? Uh, well, yeah, I guess uh, the best the best quote I can think of would be uh, uh, Sean Connery from the movie Highlander. How do you protect yourself against such evil with heart, faith and steel? Are there talismans? Are there uh, what, what do what do the well, I would certainly be armed. people. Yeah, you'd be armed. Okay, well, but, I, I, what I would do, what I would carry for something like that is uh, they make a round for a shotgun called a dragon's breath round, and it's an incendiary round, and it's good out to about a hundred yards. Uh, I would load my shotgun with that if I was going into that cave. Something uh, so capability of setting something on fire from a distance. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. But if if you're if you're fighting against something that is spirit, not flesh and bone. Is that going to be enough? You know, I I I don't know uh, if that would be enough on its own. But I I have a a, a good friend. Uh, his name is William Nighthawk. He's a Lakota shaman. And if I was going to undertake that expedition, I would be getting with William. And I have a spirit bag that he made for me. Uh, in fact, I can show it to you. Uh, he made this for me uh, because he knows I I tend to go into a lot of odd places. Uh, but William made this for me. And uh, it's kind of my green screen's kind of taking it out. But he actually has a, a, uh, bring it closer to your face. Sometimes that uh, helps closer to your face, right in front of your face there. There. Okay. That's better. uh, For some reason, it's green screening it out. Yeah. But it, uh, he, uh, he drew a picture of a, of a Sasquatch on it. And, uh, I take it with me anytime I go out in the field. Um, and you know, if I'm not going to be in the field, I keep it close to the, close to my family. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I put a lot of faith in what in, in the Native American beliefs because they they have a much greater understanding of how nature works. Uh, so many things that our our society has ignored that they've just accepted for centuries. Um, you know, and, and I would never be dismissive of of any any of the beliefs because they were here first. Uh, they you know they were experiencing these things long before any of my ancestors ever set foot on this continent. You think that that um, modern day uh, indigenous people from the Great Plains tribes and the Great and the Great Lakes tribes still believe in the Wendigo? Absolutely, uh, the Oglala do, uh, the the Lakota do. Um, you know, these are these are things that they do worry about. Uh, and you know, if you look at the missing four one one people. People still do go missing in the woods without a trace. Uh, is that a Wendigo? I can't say. I can't say it, you know, without a doubt that it's a Wendigo. But even if just one of them is going missing because of a Wendigo, it's enough to worry. But you have your suspicions. You can't confirm, but you have your suspicions that that what's responsible right. for these missing people are with a Wendigo. I think uh, that there are a number of cryptids that that hunt that hunt people. Uh, I think Wendigo is definitely one of them. Uh, I believe Bigfoot at times will cannibalize people and uh the, the creature they call the dog man i believe it is also a prolific hunter of humans 
Uh, because the encounter stories we get with Dogman specifically, they're they're never peaceful. Uh, people always would describe the encounter as hellish or demonic. Um, plus, you look at the Native American lore, you've got so many stories of creatures like this carrying people out of villages, um, attacking and, and, and killing people, even in uh, uh, the, the Civil War. Uh, during the Battle of uh, Chickamauga, they described a, a thing they called an old green eyes, uh, which was described very much like a Bigfoot creature that would come out on the battlefield and carry off wounded and dead. Uh, that's actually in that's actually in the officers' notes from both sides of the battle. They saw this thing, wow. uh, and sometimes it carried off dead, and sometimes it carried off the the still living. And that was seen all over the Battle of Chickamauga. And that's not the only time that's happened. Chickamauga, where was that in the United States? Uh, Chickamauga, I believe, was in northern Georgia. Northern Georgia. And so both Confederate and Right Union's... at the root of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. And so uh, both Union and Confederate soldiers, in their notes, reported seeing a Sasquatch carry off dead and injured soldiers? Some of them thought, thought it was a spirit. Uh, and that's why it's commonly retur- referred to as old green eyes. Uh, some of them thought it was the ghost of something coming out on the battlefield, but many others reported seeing it literally physically carrying off the dead. Uh, in some cases, they sent people to try to stop it, and they didn't come back. Wow, that that's remarkable. <laughs> that has not made it into many history books, uh, I would gather. Um, it's a fascinating story. If you ever ever have some time, look up Old Green Eyes in the Battle of Chickamauga, and the, the lore is really interesting. Any other um, Sasquatch reportings or Dogmen reportings during the Civil War? During the Civil War, there 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 were lots of stories of strange things happening. Like at the Battle of the Wilderness, they heard supposedly heard screams coming from the woods when they were when they when they opened fire on each other. Uh, Lots of really bizarre things happened during the Civil War, uh, but when you have that much carnage, uh, when when you have you know, that much bloodshed, I mean, if you look at the battle, look at the Civil War itself, we lost more. If you can count the wounded and the dead on both sides, we lost more life during the Battle of the Civil War than we did every war we fought after that combined. Uh, we lost more at Gettysburg than we lost in all of Vietnam. Wow. Yeah, uh, something yeah, like six hundred thousand. That much blood soaking into the ground. Uh, Gettysburg, I think we lost like fifty-six thousand people in a day, and to, to that that tremendous loss of life, that much blood is going to attract things, both you know, both physical and I think beyond. That's why there's so many haunted accounts of of uh, battlefields being haunted even today. People have reported seeing ghosts all over Gettysburg. Just outside of Springfield, one of the biggest battles that was fought in Missouri was the Battle of, uh, the battle of, of uh, Wilson's Creek. And I have a friend that used to volunteer out there, and he's caught ghosts on camera. Uh, it's, uh, you know, these Gettys, uh Civil War battlefields are just they're magnets for the paranormal and for, for strange creatures. Um, and of course, you and I discussed my, my Teddy Roosevelt theory, uh, how I believe that was Teddy Roosevelt uh, created the National Park Service to create preserves for these huge creatures. Um, and, and specifically, Teddy Roosevelt was a member of a secret society designed to protect the Ozarks Howler. And that's why the Ozark National Forest was set aside specifically for the, for the Ozark Howler. And the Ozark Howler is a Bigfoot. Uh, no, the Ozark Howler is a is a Ozark's legend of a creature that's roughly the size of a bear, 
uh, but built more like a dog with horns. Uh, it's reported to see glowing red eyes. Uh, people will hear it scream and, and howl in the in the in the mountains and the, in the passes. Uh, that it's it's supposedly taken people. It's definitely killed livestock. Uh, allegedly, Daniel Boone himself killed one near Cuba, Missouri. My lord. Always learning new things with D.A. Roberts and uh, the website again, daroberts.net. And uh, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, we'll get into the Dogmen Project. Stay with us. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. And we are back with D.A. Roberts, and we've been talking about the legend of the Wendigo. And um, a, a, a correction, um, I, uh, I mentioned your work with the, uh, the Dogman Project, uh, but you're no longer with the um, North American Dogman Project. You're now with the International Dogman Project? Correct. Uh, it was founded by Nick Valente. Uh, and Nick and I, uh, we... We 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 uh we share a lot of uh, philosophies on the research. Uh, I spent almost a week with with Nick in the land between the lakes recreation area, which one one of the most famous hotbeds for dogman activity. And in fact, I'm planning on going back there this spring. Uh, I'm going to be uh, taking part in a documentary there in LBL. Uh, but it, it's a really bizarre area. But uh, yeah, I've I've uh, I've kind of moved away from the NADP and now with IDP. They they have a similar goal but different methods. All right. The name International Dog Man Project obviously indicates that this is a worldwide phenomenon, not just limited to the uh, the United States or Canada. This is there are dog man sightings all over the world, all over the world. Well, if you look at the earliest the earliest history of what we believe to be dogmen, uh, the, we get the word cynocephalus, uh, which dates back to the Greeks and the Romans, when the Greeks and the Romans mentioned in their journals of encountering these dog-headed warriors in northern Africa and the Indus Valley, that they mentioned fighting these creatures, and they were, they were extremely aggressive and very powerful. So we get the first references from Norse. Uh, from I'm sorry, we get the first references from Romans, Roman and Greek uh, and archives and notes that were taken by Alexander the Great and Roman other uh, Roman generals. Um, so they, they encountered them in Africa. They encountered them in, in in India, and there's still valleys in India today where the locals say that there are these dog-headed creatures up there. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look even. You know, we look at some of the more recent stuff. Uh, the Catholic saint, St. Christopher, is known as the dog-headed saint. So what are they? Another species? Uh, another type of hominid? What are they? I think that I think that's what they are. I think they're another humanoid race that evolved here. Um, you know, much like uh, I think the similarities with Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot is just something that's very similar to us, uh, not necessarily, you know, diverging on the evolutionary scale at the same point that we did, somewhere between us and apes. Uh, but they're obviously intelligent. Uh, same thing with dogmen. They're very intelligent. But I think uh, as our as our ancestors became more, became more adept at using tools and using fire, I think we drove these things underground. And I think that's why we don't see them as, as much. I think they're, they're, they're primarily underground dwellers now. Uh, and if you look at the map of the missing 411 in the United States, these clusters of missing people, and then overlay that map with a map of known cave systems in the United States, they're identical. And you think it's these cave systems are where the dog man 
resides. Right. I, and I think, well, we know Mammoth Cave goes for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Uh, they're, they've only explored not even a quarter of Mammoth Cave, and they have no idea how deep it goes. Uh, but they know parts of Mammoth Cave run from eastern Tennessee to Maine. Are you a spelunker? Have you investigated these caves for uh, evidence of Dogman? In my younger days, when I was in my teens and early 20s, uh, I was an, a- an amateur caver. And uh, friends of mine and I would go to caves all over the Midwest and, and get back into these caves. And I've seen I've seen some really interesting things in these caves, uh, but I've never, never encountered something that I would think would be humanoid. Uh, but we have uh, we have ran into you know, obvious signs where animals have been in there uh, and in one cave near Eldridge, Missouri, uh, we heard something farther back in the cave that we couldn't identify, and it growled at us, and we got out of there. Uh, we didn't stick around because none of us were armed. Maybe the cave was so muddy, there was no way you could have taken anything more than a knife back there without ruining it. You mentioned, is it land between the lakes in Missouri? This is a, a huge natural it a wilderness area. This is renowned for dogman sightings? Uh, the land between the lakes is a is a uh, national parks recreation area that lies on the on the border between uh, between uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh-huh. It's about six hours from where I live, and it's about two hundred and fifty thousand acres of of prime forest land. Um, there are a lot of stories of of uh, dogmen in that area. A uh, number of, of missing people, um, uh, a few uh, a few quite a few deaths attributed to possible dogman attacks. Lots of stories from the area uh, from people that live in the area of, the, of seeing these creatures. In fact, before it was known as land between the lakes, uh, it, it was known as land between the rivers. It was in 1963 that the Tennessee Valley Authority dammed those two rivers and created those massive lakes. Um, up until then, it was just, you know, this this fertile area between these two rivers. It was known as land between the rivers. But the first known sightings of a dogman-type creature there date back to the late 1600s for French, for, with French trappers who called it a loop guru, which is the French word for werewolf. Um, even Native Americans in that area, they referred to that whole area as cursed land and told people not to go there. Are law enforcement, do you think, are they are they covering up? I mean, if they, they if they um, are investigating, let's say, a gruesome murder, someone they find in the woods torn to pieces, mm-hmm. do you think that they know that it's the dog man? Are they covering it up? Maybe just trying to explain it away? Oh, it's a bear attack or something like that. I think that in many cases they'll try to dismiss dismiss things as dog attacks or bear attacks, even when they know better. Um, because you know you, you're going to create a public panic. Uh, but I, when I was in LBL, I'm a retired cop. Uh, when I was in LBL, I ran into a deputy sheriff just outside of LBL in a little town called Grand Rivers, and I asked him about the family that was supposedly killed there in '82. And he said, "I don't really want to. I don't think that's something we should be talking about." So I identified myself as a, as a retired cop, showed him my credentials, and said, "I'm just researching a book. I would like to learn more about it." And he looked at me and he said, the "Only reason I'm going to tell you this." is because you're a cop cop to cop drop this this is not someplace you want to go and he walked away wouldn't talk to him anymore whoa all right so tell me what what are the details of this family that was killed in 1982 allegedly a family of four uh was setting up their camper early in the camping season in lbl and for some reason this dogman creature 
came out of the woods. They some some speculate that it might have been loud music. It might have been the scent. They don't know what drew the dog man there, uh, but it attacked the father first, nearly ripping his head off in one arm. Uh, attacked the son second as he ran for the RV um, and, and, ca- and caught him at the door. Uh, the mother shut and locked the door, and they had a small daughter. And uh, when the creature killed, after the creature killed the boy, it forced its way inside the RV. Uh, and the mother, by all accounts, fought incredibly trying to protect her daughter. Uh, the mother was the most tore up. There was blood all over the inside of the RV. Uh, but when the police arrived, there was no little girl. They couldn't find her. Uh, initially, they thought they just had three victims until they started noticing the little girl's clothes and possessions. So they started combing the woods, and two uh, two highway patrolmen found her uh, 30 feet up a tree, and she'd been fed on. Um and then the military got involved, uh, and that's when this whole incident started getting shut up is when the military and the government got involved. But up until then, they had every agency in the area coming in to to, to investigate because they were just so overwhelmed at the small area, not a, not a huge law enforcement presence. Uh, and when the military and the, and the government got involved, these men were all sworn to secrecy. The two, uh, the two uh, uh, highway patrolmen who found the little girl uh, both have passed on. Um, but before they died, they told their story. Uh, they said they, we, they were not going to our grave, not sharing this story. And that is not the only story of, of people being killed in LBL. Uh, supposedly in 74, there was, uh, there was a man and a woman killed in Demumbers Bay, and it was witnessed from the, from a, from a boat by a guy from the game, uh, game and fisheries. Uh, there's a there's numerous people that have gone missing in there and every year and thank you this year alone i think there's half a dozen people that have gone missing in lbl um it, it's just a very very bizarre area i spent a week there um and i can tell you i've been in the woods all over the united states uh I've, i'm a deer hunter i grew up hunting and fishing i have never had woods feel as odd as it feels there uh, in a in a week, day and night, running around north end of LBL, I never saw a single animal, not a deer, not a squirrel, not roadkill, nothing. Uh, I did hear some strange things, but I never saw any animals, which to me is the weirdest thing because we were staying just across the canal from LBL in a, a in La Silla Grand Rivers. We stayed over there, uh, but there were deer all over the place over there. You find raccoons and squirrels and possums, and they were all over the place near our near our near our, uh, our cabin where we were staying. Um, you couldn't go outside without seeing them, but you, as soon as you cross the the canal into LBL, nothing. You got a fleeting glimpse of, you, uh, of, of a dog man, right? Yes, I did. It was on our last day in LBL. Nick Fonte and I were driving down the road from Demumbers Bay, where the family was, where the, the couple was supposedly killed in 74. And which I've recently learned is only about a mile from where the family of four were killed in 82. So on the same road. Uh, and we, we were driving down the road and we were looking what we were doing is we were looking at primitive campsites because some of these campsites are set back in the woods and there's no power or electricity or anything that runs to them they're just primitive campsites you pitch a tent everything everything you you take to camp you have to bring in yourself uh so we were looking at the primitive campsites and we thought we would check some of these and look and see if we could find tracks or anything like that i wasn't expecting to see something and this was in broad daylight it was about 10 30 10 45 in the morning and as we were driving down the road uh, Nick was driving maybe three or four miles an hour. We were driving slow, looking for these, looking for these campsites. And he was looking on the left side of the road. And I was looking on the right, and I happened to pass over a figure 
that was leaning against a tree and I didn't register what I was looking at until it moved. And when it turned its head and, and followed my move, that followed the movement of the vehicle, I realized what I was looking at. And it was between six and a half, seven feet tall, completely black, uh, covered, covered in, in coarse fur, had the head, had, had a head like a, like a, uh, like a wolf, but the snout was more like a, like a mastiff or a, or a, uh, Rottweiler. It didn't have the jowls, but the the snout was shorter and blunter. It was completely black. And when it realized I was looking at it, I, I started hitting Nick and pointing. He stopped and turned and looked. And I got to see the thing for, I would guess, 15 to 20 seconds. And Nick probably saw it for between between around 10 seconds. Uh, but once it realized that we not only had stopped, but we had identified it and were looking at it, it turned and ran for the, for a ravine that was about 30 yards away. And it took this odd bounding stride. It didn't just run straight like, like you or I would. It kind of sprang to the right, sprang to the left, sprang to the right again, and then went down that ravine in about three good bounds it was down in this ravine and we could hear it you know busting through the trees getting away so we like idiots we jumped out of the out of the uh, vehicle and ran out ran out of the woods to look for it to follow it and realized pretty quick we weren't going to be able to get into them down that ravine without ropes so we go back and check and uh, there was thick leaf litter on the ground so we weren't able to find any tracks we could find impressions where it had bit where it had stepped but there was no way we were going to get tracks through all that leaf litter so I went back to the exact tree where it was standing, and I was able to to reach up and put my hand in what I believe the spot was where its hand was. Now, if I was to lean against a tree, it would be higher than I would be, like, if I placed my hand against a tree to lean on it like it was, it would be well above that. Uh, but it was, wasn't where I couldn't reach, so that's where I get the estimation. I'm 5'10", so I estimated it was between six and a half and seven feet tall because I could reach the same spot. It just was not a comfortable reach for me. And when it ran off, it was on two legs, correct? Yes, it was on two legs. What about its its arms? Does it have uh, paws? Does it have opposable thumbs? It had the hands over very the hands that I saw and that I've also heard described by numerous people were spindly, like the fingers were slightly longer, uh, like a raccoon's hands, uh, like the digits are just longer than than is natural for a person. Um, and it, it had definitely had degenerate feet. It had like the hawk's back legs of a dog. Uh, it didn't, you know, didn't have legs like you or I. It had, it had, had, had degenerate feet. Whereas you and I, what we have is called plantigrade feet. Bigfoot are described as having plantigrade feet or the, you know, regular heel and foot. Uh, this was more like a dog's back leg with the, the, the paw was a bit oversized. What about the upper body, the chest, shoulders? Upper body wasn't as broad as I expected it to be. I was expecting it to be this big hulking creature, uh, but it was it was built more slender. It was it, it looked like it was it, well, it was definitely capable of incredible speed because it was going quickly. But it didn't look like it was it was a massive creature like like you would expect. It looked more like it it was it, it had like a chest and shoulders like a dog. Uh, well, they, the shoulders were obviously attached to arms, but it, it wasn't barrel chested like you would see from a big primate or a power lifter or something like that. But it was it was more like it could, like it could have dropped all fours and gone very fast. Uh, I think these things are capable of going uh, going quadrupedal or bipedal. Uh, so I, I think uh, I think that's why they're mistaken so many times as most people see them on all fours and just assume it's a wolf. Do they hunt in packs or are they solitary? Uh, I've heard both. I've heard people seeing them solitary, and I've heard people seeing them in large groups. Um, the, the only one, the one I see, the only one I've ever seen is that one, and it uh, it was definitely alone. 
uh, although there could have been others in the deep woods that I didn't see uh, because the woods at LPL are very thick. Would you camp in the or have you camped in the land between the lakes and in, in, on the Kentucky Tennessee border? I haven't yet. Uh, the last time that I went there, uh, my wife and my son went with us and we stayed at a, at a resort across in uh, Grand Rivers. Uh, but when we go back in the spring, the, the plan is to, to spend four or five days at, at, a, at Demumbers Bay to try to see what we can call in. Aren't you? I mean, I would be petrified. Aren't you afraid of sleeping in the woods in a in a tent where there have been reports of dogmen tearing people apart? Ah. I'm I'm one of those guys that I don't I don't want to be the second guy through the door. I used to tell people that you know all the time when I was uh, when I was a cop. I don't want to be the guy that, that that comes in next. I want to be the first guy through the door when we're serving a warrant. That's always the guy I wanted to be. Uh, my mother used to say when I was a small boy that I would blunder in where angels feared to tread, and that's kind of been the hallmark of my existence. I I I. I I'm not I'm not wired like most people. Something scares me. I tend to go toward it instead of away from it. Uh, just the way I've always been. And um, it's that's the way I will always continue to be. I mean, I want to know my my desire to know more is going to keep keep me going forward until it either gets me into too much trouble or I can't do it anymore. Which do you would you fear more an encounter with a Wendigo or a dog man? But definitely the Wendigo, because I think a dogman is a physical creature. And if, as, a, as it being a physical creature, it can be stopped. But the Wendigo, I think, is more spiritual. I think it's going to be much more difficult to stop a Wendigo if you can stop one at all. Do you think it's possible, uh, I don't know, some government agency has shot and killed a dogman, has one on ice somewhere? I think it's very feasible that they have. Uh, same same with Bigfoot. I mean, there were so how many how many accounts of uh, from the Mount St. Helens eruption where there are uh, truckloads of dead Bigfoot being brought out of that area. Uh, the government has known about these things for a very long time. Uh, I believe uh, that Teddy Roosevelt knew about them, and that's why he created the National Park Service. Um, so, you know, I think the government is well aware of these things. And I don't think a lot of people think that uh, that bigfoot dogmen were created by our government. I don't think since how back they lower on these things go, our, our government certainly didn't have the ability to, to genetically create something in the 1700s. Uh, so I, I think these, these creatures have existed long before our government, but our government is not above exploiting them. If they could find a way to weaponize it, they certainly will. D.A. Roberts now with the international uh dog man projects da roberts.net what are you working on you're always writing i know that da what are you working on right now the book i'm working on right now is uh it's the second in a, in a new series that i started uh it's called dark frontiers it's uh, about a, a guy uh right at the end of the civil war the book series starts in 1865 uh the the actually the the story of green eyes at chickamauga is what inspired the series it's about a guy who you know by by just blind luck, winds up hunting these creatures at the end of World War, end of the Civil War. Uh, he's a he's an Irishman named Declan Kane, uh, who by hook, you know, by no choice of his own, uh, winds up face to face with these creatures and then gets drugged into the world of hunting them down. I look forward to that. Da, always a pleasure to spend some time with you. I always learn so much. Thank you so much for this. My pleasure, sir. Anytime. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 